0: This podcast was created on Messi. Create your own show today at messi.fm. This podcast has been brought to you by Black Women for Wellness. Black Women for Wellness is committed to the health and well-being of black women and girls through health education, empowerment, and advocacy. Located in the heart of Lamert Park Village, you can locate Black Women for Wellness online at www.bwwla.org, like our Black Women for Wellness Facebook page, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at BW4WLA and on Instagram at BWWLA
1: hello everyone this is gloria kulange with black women for wellness and today is national women and girls hiv awareness day and for our second episode we're going to introduce two people one from the black women for wellness wellness team LaShea brown who is our program coordinator for get smart before you get sexy and we have fatima hyacinth who is the national training manager at the black aids institute and she takes the lead with all the work with black women uh, so ladies, first of all, how did you two meet, and how did the work with Black AIDS Institute and Black Women for Wellness get started?
0: Hi, um, so we've actually been working together over the years, yeah, um, I think since like twenty sixteen yeah um, how did our what was our first event, or
2: um if I remember correctly, it was probably a world AIDS Day event or something like that um, I think I remember um <clears throat> working with the Get Smart Before You Get Sexy to do a kind of HIV and sexual health training for the mentors, Mm -hmm. um, for the peer mentors. Um, And I think we've just kind of stayed in each other's orbit. I know if I need reproductive justice stuff, I'm coming to Lachey and Black Women for Wellness. I think she knows if she needs HIV stuff, she's coming to us. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's been a good couple of years. So, again, today is National um, Women's and Girls HIV Awareness Day, and so... Let's talk about HIV. Yes. Um. So there's a lot of myths on how, like, HIV got started, right? Like, people are like, people in Africa having sex with monkeys mm-hmm. and, like, all this other different stuff. So how did it, how did the epidemic start?
2: Yeah. Okay. So this is a great question. Um, and I love this question because to answer this question, we have to talk about a lot of racism and a lot of mm-hmm. stigma that... Um, created a lot of these myths and keeps them alive, right? So I definitely, growing up, definitely heard the monkey sex myth, <laughs> um, heard a lot of other things that were just really not true. Right. Um, and so what we know now um, from studies that have most recently come out is that um, HIV was originally a virus that went from uh, monkey to monkey, and then when those monkeys were being used for food, um, probably in regions in what's the Congo now, um it kind of made the jump into humans. So similar to bird flu, similar to swine flu, right? Like we've seen other viruses do things like this. Mm-hmm. The thing with HIV though is that when it made the jump to being able to pass from, uh, to be, from uh, animal to human and then to other humans, it coincided with a lot of post-colonialism. And okay. the fun thing about revolutions is that people start moving around, people start meeting other folks, people ha- start having sex with folks who maybe they weren't having sex with before. Um, and so from that... Um, in this whole big, um, you know, political climate of the 60s, where you have a lot of movement um, intercontinentally within the African continent, and then um, from the African continent to elsewhere as well, we saw um, strains of this virus moving into the Western Hemisphere, probably into um, Haiti, probably also being accompanied by um, tourism and sex tourism from Europe and from the United States. And so that's the strain that Um, we kind of know now that later when we talk about the HIV epidemic of the 80s in the United States and what um, kind of went back out into the rest of the world, that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I want to be clear, though, what I'm not saying is that, you know, I'm not saying that the HIV epidemic started because of um, folks in the Congo or because of Haitians, right? My family is Haitian, and we have crazy stories about, all the stigma that folks um, live through because of misconceptions around that. But what I am saying is that when we're talking about HIV, we're always talking about um, social movement and we're always talking about um, kind of the societal factors that run with it as well.
0: Thank you for that. So you said something where I'm like, what is that? Uh, What is sex tourism?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, sex work is... uh, a thing that happens for many reasons in many um, places. And uh, sex tourism is kind of this idea that folks will go to different countries um, to procure the services of sex workers Mm -hmm. for cheaper or for for different reasons. Uh, Maybe it's laws are laxer. Maybe it's uh, less frowned upon in those places. But the idea of going to another place to um, get services from sex workers rather than... um, And usually it's folks coming from wealthier, wider nations to poorer, browner nations um, <laughs> yeah. to, to get those services. Okay,
0: thanks for that. Of um, so in recent years, um, how is now, is HIV transmitted? Mm-hmm.
2: So HIV is transmitted um, through certain bodily fluids. Um, we're talking about um, vaginal fluids, anal fluids, semen, blood, um, breast milk. Um, it's not transmitted through um, saliva or tears or sweat. Um, and so when we think about usually how those are, we're looking, um, through, uh, sex without a barrier method or without, um, some biomedical prevention. We'll talk about that later. Um, we're also talking about, um, uh, sharing needles, um, mm-hmm. for intravenous drug use or for other reasons, um, that would, um, pass blood. In the United States, we don't see, um, for blood transfusions anymore because we know how to screen it. Um, we don't see, um, during during birth so perinatal um as much but when we do it's often the cases are um among black women and Mm -hmm. that's a statement on you know we I think you all have these conversations all the time about black women not getting adequate care during Mm -hmm. um during pregnancy right before and after um and that kind of speaks to how we see um HIV being contracted during birth as
0: well So I like that you brought up the fact of Black women, right? So like when it does happen, it doesn't really happen as much, but when it does occur, it's Black women. Um, So what are the stats related to Black women when it comes to HIV?
2: Yeah, so um, in 2015, Black women were diagnosed with new cases of HIV at three times the rate of white women. In 2016, Black women made up 60% of new diagnoses of HIV among women. Um, When we're talking about um, black women, when we're talking about um, statistics around women, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, doesn't have good data around trans women. Um, But we do know that from 2009 to 2014, um, it's estimated that uh, among uh, trans women, black trans women were 51% of new diagnoses of HIV, right? So no matter how you cut it, no matter how you slice it... um, Black women who are not that big a proportion of the population do have a larger proportion of um, new cases of HIV. And all of this is happening in a, a time where we know how to prevent HIV. Exactly. So.
0: Exactly. Um, and so that's my question, right? So we have biomedical prevention. Um, we have all of this new science and medication. So why are black women living with HIV at higher rates than other populations? hmm mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, you can ask that question of a lot of different health conditions, right, going back to maternal mortality, and oftentimes it goes down to access. It goes down to the conversations that our doctors have with us when we do have access to care. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, most of the cases of, um, most of the new HIV cases in this country are in the south of the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And when you think about those states that they also have horrible maternal mortality um, cases. They also have, um, in many cases, not expanded the Affordable Care Act to make sure that people get insurance, right? And so when you think about those gaps, when you think about the stigma around black women and, um, you know, being perceived as hypersexual um, and how oftentimes we don't want to talk about sex because we've been socialized to feel shame around that, um, all of that together creates kind of this toxic mix where we're not getting the information that we need to make our own choices around our own bodies.
0: Mm -hmm. So you said a couple of things that I want to touch on. So the first one um, is the conversations we have with providers, right? Mm So oftentimes, let's say you're in a monogamous relationship whatever that may mean um and you go to your doctor and they're like so how many partners do you have or um do you have sex with men or women right and based off of your questions they're like oh we don't need to test you for that right mm-hmm. um so what conversations should we be having with our providers and what is considered at risk yeah
2: yeah so that's a great question um so let me take the second part of that question okay. first. right so this <laughs> question about at risk, right? So uh, the Center for Disease Control has guidelines about what type of prevention conversations we have based off of our perceived risk factors, right? When you look at what risk means, um, it might mean, if you're looking geographically, that you uh, live in a zip code with high uh, rates of HIV and you happen to have a crush on that kid in your Mm -hmm. math class, right? (laughs) And that might mean that you're at risk. And that doesn't make sense for, you know, for thinking about Um, you know, how we make our decisions, right? So I don't like to talk about risk. What I do like to talk about, though, are our rights to information, right? Mm -hmm. So when I talk to um, women, black women specifically, about the conversations that we should be having with our doctors, um, with our nurses, with our OBGYNs, kind of with anybody who has, who can, our pharmacists, anybody who can uh, help facilitate health, the conversation is, for me, what information is out there, I have the right to know all that information, and then I have the right to make that decision in a way that's not, um, you know, harmed by other folks' judgments or other folks' expectation. Um, I think oftentimes what happens is doctors – there is, there's data showing that 50%, only 50% of women overall have ever gotten an HIV test, right? Oh, wow. So doctors aren't mm-hmm. even asking that question. And you have the right to have a full STI, full blood work done, right? Right. When you're in front of a doctor. And so thinking about why are you not getting that information and um, what does your doctor need to do differently to make sure that you have the full rights to all the information you need?
0: Mm hmm. Thank you for that. Um, and so also going back to your answer, um, you talked about hypersexuality, mm-hmm. right? So like, I mean, we're seen as Jezebels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Right. So it, for those who are like, oh, black women are at high risk or black women are living with HIV at higher rates because they're hypersexual, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what what can we say to that? Um, what are the ways that we're getting HIV?
2: Yeah, Um Oftentimes it's not a question of, I mean, it's never a question of hypersexuality. What we have seen are that um, there are sometimes smaller sexual networks, right? And we can talk about how, um, you know, a lot of different social factors go into um, thinking about who folks choose to have sex with, right? Um, And so some of it is proximity, some of it is relatability, but then some of it is also when you have communities that are disrupted by mm-hmm. a lot of different forces, um, you know, your options are, are smaller for who you might want to have sex with, right? So thinking about that, I think, thinking about this myth of hypersexuality, um, that has always been tied to white supremacy. That has always been tied to patriarchy. Um, you know, talking about Black women's hypersexuality is, uh, you can go back to literally before slavery and see all the ways that that has been used against us. And Mm -hmm. so for me in 2019, that does nothing to help us. right? Um, And so thinking about, um, you know, when, when we know that that's not, not true, thinking about all the other things that uh, create this, again, create this context where we're seeing these, these cases. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you. Um, And so if we know that black women are disproportionately affected by HIV, um, like what resources are out there? Because I know for me, I see a lot of like funds and resources mm-hmm. going to like bisexual or gay men, mm-hmm. right? So what resources do people have, specifically black women, mm-hmm. when it comes to like HIV prevention or getting care services that we need?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I think the big answer to that is that we have each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And so we Uh, The Black Days Institute, we've been doing work um, kind of surveying black women's ideas and understanding of um, sexual health and HIV prevention. And something that we learned is that, something that was confirmed for us that we already knew is that we talk to each other, black women will talk to their sisters, their friends um, about health and sexual health as much as they'll talk to a medical provider, right? Mm -hmm. And so we know that, so how do we make sure that we have the information and we're sharing it with our communities? Thinking about, uh, you know, what clinics, what doctors do you have in in your own re- um, community? So we have the Black AIDS Institute. We have clinic spaces on um, uh, Stockton and Crenshaw that you, uh, you can get an HIV test. Um, we also have one on 8th and Bonnie Bray where you can okay. get an HIV test. Um, and those are, you know, you can come get a totally free HIV test. Um, we can do referrals to other sexual health as well um and then you know also thinking about there are a lot of great folks who are doing work around um hiv specifically with black women and so amplifying um their um their work either through social media or um through through other ways as well Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you. Um. So just so that for folks, if they missed it. um. So what are the two clinics, like the names as well as the streets?
2: Yes, yes. So we have a clinic for us. Okay. Um, that is on Stockton. Um. And then we also have um, the Black AIDS Institute main uh, site, which is on 8th and Bonnie Bray.
0: Okay. And awesome. you can um,
2: always check out our website, blackaids.org. And we have all the clinic times and everything, as well as phone numbers that you can call.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, So let's go into the science part of it, Mm -hmm. the biomedical prevention. So I've been hearing a lot about, like, PrEP, right? Um, So what is PrEP?
2: Yeah, so PrEP is a pill that you can take once a day to prevent um, HIV. It's uh, more than 90% effective, taken daily. And so basically what it does is you have to take it daily to build up enough of it to... um, Prevent if you were to have uh, an exposure to HIV. So let's say you're, um, you know, maybe you don't know the status of your partners, or um, you do know the status of your partner um, and they are living with HIV. So it's something that you can um, use PrEP to prevent HIV. It doesn't prevent other STIs. um, So thinking about, um, you know, syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, for Mm -hmm. those you would want to use a condom but it does prevent HIV
0: right so what you're saying is even if you're taking prep daily still wear condoms yes yes yeah thank you um so I heard that there's also a pill um for like if you feel you've came in contact Mm -hmm. with HIV so what is that so that's called PEP and so that's post
2: exposure prophylaxis um and so for that what basically what happens is within 72 hours, you can access this medication um, and uh, you would basically take it for uh, about a month afterwards uh, to help decrease um, your chances of actually, um, uh, it's called seroconverting, but basically actually contract, of the virus taking hold, basically. Um, And so if you think about pre-exposure prophylaxis is kind of like, uh, daily birth control, right? It's like mm-hmm. a once a day pill. And then post exposure prophylaxis is more like the morning after pill. Um, and anybody who can write a prescription can write a prescription for either of these. So you don't need a doctor who has HIV specialty. You don't need, um, you know, an infectious disease doctor, a nurse, your OBGYN pharmacist, whoever can write a prescription can write these prescriptions.
0: Okay. And what are the cost of these? Like, can people get it for free anywhere or low cost? Yeah. So
2: they're covered um, by, Um, most insurance, um, and so most of the time what people run into in terms of costs are actually the costs for the labs um, because we have to do blood work, make sure that everything um, is uh, running smoothly, and for those, there are ways to get labs paid for as well through um, different patient assistance programs. And um, both clinics that I mentioned earlier – Um, we provide PrEP and PEP there as well, so uh, you can always feel free to reach out to us at the Black AIDS Institute for more information about that.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, So there is also something I've heard lately, U equals U, Mm -hmm. and it sounds wonderful, but I'm like, what exactly is U equals U? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a great question, thank you. So uh, a few years ago, um, scientists around the world realized, or, you know, confirmed, I should say, that Um, For folks who are living with HIV, who are taking their medication as prescribed by the doctor, um, you can reach this place called viral suppression, which means that you have so little of the virus in your system that you uh, will not transmit the virus to a sexual partner. Um, And that means, like, without a condom, you will not transmit HIV. Um, And so this has, folks have been talking about this for years on the international stage. The CDC finally signed on. Um, in 2018, and so what this means, U equals U means undetectable, so when somebody reaches viral suppression, we call it undetectable because it means that they have so low of the virus in their system, it won't come up on the test, so mm-hmm. undetectable means un- equals untransmittable, so okay. if they're virally suppressed, they will not transmit the virus to a sexual partner. This is really exciting because yeah. um, you know, it gives folks other options for HIV prevention, it you know really, I think, encompasses you know the relationships that people living with hiv have um and is generally just gives more freedom um in bodily autonomy and in relationships what's not exciting is that when you look at um you know data a lot of black folks do not reach viral suppression because mm. of questions of being able to maintain regular doctor's appointments because of you know perhaps lack of insurance or moving or changing jobs things right. like that um and so U equals U is great. It's really exciting. We need to make sure that um, we can actually get to viral suppression mm-hmm. um, for it to to work for our communities.
0: So does that include uh, making sure that you're getting tested regularly? Mm-hmm. Like, how can we get our community at that level?
2: Absolutely. So I, th- I would say it starts even before getting tested, which is having the conversation about um, HIV. I know a lot of folks don't think about HIV on right. a regular basis, mm-hmm. right? Um, but just thinking about... HIV and sexual health as part of just your regular healthcare routine. So if you're getting an annual physical, making sure you get like that full panel, um, and then you know from there moving on. So if you're not, if you get an HIV test and it comes back negative, what type of prevention do you want to engage in? Do you want to use prep? Do you want to use condoms? What works for you? And then if it does come back positive again, what type of medication? Where do you want to um, you know receive your treatment? trying to figure out a plan that works for, works for you. Because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, it's your rights to have all of these information and figure out a prevention or a treatment plan that works for your life.
0: Thank you. Um, And so folks are listening to this and they're like, well, I think I need to go get tested. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Where can they go get tested?
2: Um, You can come to our clinics. Okay. Um, Again, uh, we have two in L.A. Uh, if you go on our website, blackaids.org, we have a link where you can type in your zip code and it will show you uh, free or low-cost um, places to get tested around the country as well.
0: Thank you. Um, and just to close out, um, how specifically is Black AIDS Institute fighting this epidemic?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, we have a few different ways. So we have our local work in L.A. We have our clinics that I mentioned Um, We have social support groups um, for young black men as well. Um, And then on the national scale, we're doing policy work. We have chapters around the country who do um, work in their own communities. We also, um, you know, this is National Women Girls HIV Awareness Day. We um, just launched an ambassador program for black women. Uh, Lachey is one of our (laughs) ambassadors. We're so excited to have her, Um, right? And so Lachey is part of a cohort of women from around the country as far as San Juan and Puerto Rico to Milwaukee to LA um, who are all committed to um, leading conversations around sexual health and reproductive justice and HIV and uh, building the capacity of their communities. So basically doing the leadership thing that black women do on a daily Mm -hmm. basis, um, specifically around HIV. And so that's another way that we're committed to ending this epidemic.
1: Thank you. Well, I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about Get Smart and the work that you do and how that links with today's national day.
0: So Get Smart Before You Get Sexy, Um, we work with Ages 12 to 24. It's a comprehensive sex education um, program. And so we go into different schools and we train them on sexual health, um, including HIV prevention. And so... This partnership is very beneficial in us having accurate um, information to give to the youth, as well as shining light that we do have an HIV epidemic, because a lot of people feel like HIV is old, or no one's getting it anymore, and that also um, affect the rates for HIV. Um, and also, this is very beneficial because we work with Black women and girls under the program. And as I said earlier, a lot of funding and resources have been for like gay bisexual men. So it's awesome to have this program where we're focusing specifically on black women and girls um, and making sure that we now have resources and information
1: for them amazing and that's just part of what we do here at black Wind for wellness um but this is a time to plug in your programs plug in your you know organization what are your social handles who are we following who should we be following facebook instagram youtube everything pinterest tell us
2: So you can follow uh, the Black Aids Institute at Black Aids on Twitter and on Instagram. Our Facebook is Black Aids Institute. Our website is blackaids.org. I think that's all of us,
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And get smart before you get sexy has their own page, right?
0: Yes. So you can follow Get Smart Before You Get Sexy on Instagram. It's Get Smart. And then it's the letter B, number four, letter U, Get Sexy. Um, Our Twitter handle is GS Before You GS. Um, And then Facebook is Get Smart Before You Get Sexy.
1: Fantastic. Uh, This is so great. I feel like this is such a informational educational but fun conversation. You two work well together. Obviously, I hope this partnership lasts, you know, for many years to come. Lacy, I didn't know you were a ambassador, so congrats on that. That's amazing. And you know any final thoughts, any final words? Um, I think at the end of the day, I hope that
2: folks who heard this conversation take it to um really take this information to make uh, decisions that can help them live their best lives because that's what matters at the end of the day is that we're all here flourishing and thriving.
1: Flourishing and thriving, absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to, you know, working with you again. And that's it. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast
0: brought to you by Black Women for Wellness. Remember, you can find us online at www.bwwla.org. Like our Black Woman for Wellness Facebook page and follow us
1: on Twitter at BW4WLA and on Instagram at BWWLA.